The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. Holy crap, we did it. We're back. It's <laughs> the Unlikely Innovators once more. You can't get rid of us. You can't keep a good man down. Um, Mike, uh, today I we I think have... that was the first curse word, though, Steve. Like, am I going to... Am I going to have to check the explicit box when I publish this episode? I think there were a couple S words and maybe some F words during the interview with Brian. So we might have to do a fine tooth comb uh, look at it. But if we have to put explicit for crap, um, I'm leaving the podcast. No, I'm saying that's how professional we are, that that's as close (laughs) as we've come to swearing on this podcast. And this is our 17th recording. So yeah, we go up to the line, but we don't cross it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, I cut you right off and I'm cutting you off again. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. It's the delay on Zoom, I think. Um, So today we have Brian Lee, um, who is a good friend of mine and a a friend of Mike's as well. Uh, Brian works for a company called Normative as a consultant uh, where he helps companies uh, basically go from zero to one in that sort of product ideation, product launch phase. Um, Brian is a Sudbury boy. Mm-hmm. born and raised uh full disclosure we were friends in high school played on the same football team i'll pay him the compliment of saying that he started at outside linebacker for a time which i think is true um but he'll have uh something to say about that i'm sure um but no really great to see brian because it's a very interesting journey from actually working as a process engineer at valet to starting his own tech startup mm-hmm. where he went to san francisco <laughs> you know with this tech startup and then and then further after that, you know, where he, where he ends up now. So I think it's an incredible story. We didn't even ask him about that. I mean, like we will have to have him back because I feel like we probably should have asked a little bit more questions about that journey out in uh, Silicon Valley. Right. But yeah, we did that on purpose. Let's say we did it on purpose to have him back for the second interview. Right. Yeah. You got to leave uh, some meat on the bone, you know, yeah, you got to yeah. leave them wanting more. No, but I think uh, again, great chat. I'm really impressed with the, you know, the passion, again, we always mm-hmm. talk about passion, but like the, the guests, like the stories our guests have are, are, I hope influential for others, because I think Brian's is certainly one of those where if you are, uh, you know, you have that idea that you've had, you know, like in the corner of your mind for so long and you want to see if you can launch it, you can, and it doesn't matter where you work. Um, you know, anyone could take that risk and take the plunge into entrepreneurship and it can work out for you. Well, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly influential on me. Um, I sometimes when we're doing these conversations, I think if I was in their shoes, what would it be like if I was explaining my life story and my career path? And it would be not nearly as interesting as (laughs) nearly every guest we've had on. So I think when I listen to them, I'm always inspired by, again, their knowledge of, of the sector they work in. But I think just even, you know, the passion they've had to kind of guide them into often unconventional career paths. So yeah, and I think uh, the guy that will talk about it best is Brian Lee. So let's go right to it. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, sure. Happy to be here. So, Brian, I'm just going to start with your bio, and then we'll get into uh, to some, uh, some larger discussion. But uh, Brian is a licensed professional engineer with a master's in engineering specializing in product design from McMaster University. He has over 12 years of experience and he's worked as a process engineer at Valet Coppercliffe as well as Valet Inco Technical Services, the R&D arm of Valet. 
In 2015, his passion for innovation led him, led him to co-found TBOT, a venture capital funded startup that operated both in Canada and the US. Uh, he was accepted into uh, the very competitive uh, U of T Creative Destruction Lab, as well as Silicon Valley's Y Combinator, uh, Batch S15. Brian is also the first to admit that he's had his fair share of failures and scaling challenges. Uh, this led TBOT to reduce staff for a time uh, and also led to his eventual departure from the company. He's now working for Normative in consulting, helping other corporations go from zero to one on their innovative initiatives. Again, Brian, awesome to have you here. Full disclosure, Brian is also a close friend of mine. We went to high school together uh, and we've been keeping in touch uh, ever since. So great, great again to have you here, Brian. Yeah, happy to be here. It's nice seeing you and uh, Mike again. Yeah, yeah for thanks sure. for coming on, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah, so Brian, like what we usually do, so that was your formal bio. Um, mm -hmm. And then what we usually say is like, uh, you know, what's your what's been your journey? But I think a good one for you, because your, your journey is so uh, winding and interesting. Could you just tell me, you know, what did you want to do, you know, when we were in high school? When you What did you want to be when you grew up sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I, I struggle with that question because I don't, I don't think anyone really knows what they want to be. I think you know what you want to do. Yeah. And I knew what I wanted to do. I was like, I just want to do cool stuff. And I don't, and I, I saw my parents work, you know, you know, they ran their own business in Sudbury. And it's, it's a grind owning your own business, you know, making a bakery, putting out product every day. And so I knew I wanted to go somewhere a little more where I can use, you know, more, a little more applied sciences in that way, stay a little more cutting edge. Um, it's funny. I, I always said I'd never do a business because I saw what my parents went through and then I ended up doing it. And then my mom just sat there looking at me smirking like, ha. <laughs> uh, told you. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's kind of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do, I like problem solving, you know, even at a young age, you know, working at the butter tart factory, it was kind of like, we had a lot of inefficiencies because my parents took it from, you know, a hole in the wall in Paris Street to basically, actually on Barry down to a little store on Paris Street. And then they, they launched something a little bit bigger on Lawrence Street. And so every stage of that process always had something that we were patching together and as a kid I just got exposed to that uh, my uncle Steve was like a really great engineer or is uh, he retired but I think at the time so I would hang out with him at the factory between him and my dad they were always like trying to figure new ways to like solve half of our problems and so I guess that kind of impacted where I ended up uh, which is not a traditional engineer anymore ironically yeah, so that kind of leads to my next question, Brian. Um, obviously, we know where you kind of ended up, but in terms of when you started your academic journey, did you actually think at that time that you were going to work in process engineering for the rest of your life, or did you always kind of think that maybe, you know, in the back of your mind, you might end up getting pulled in a different direction? Uh, actually, I literally thought I was going to be an engineer for life. You know, my uncle was kind of my career role model at that point. Um, it's funny, like when I think back to, I mean, I'm still really close with all of my classmates. Uh, just some of my best friends. And oh, you Steve, you met some of them at my wedding. And uh, and the funny thing is, you know, we talk and like, I think I know where they're going to be in 10, 15 years because they work for the big corporations. There's the golden handcuffs. I We can statistically guess within like a 90% accuracy where they're going to be and what they're going to be doing. A very high level career within the, in a big organization like Valet or, you know, OPG or, you know, like ExxonMobil. But for me, it's kind of weird. Like, I, I don't follow that path anymore. We laugh about how, like, I don't know where I'm going to be in 15 years. I could be here. I could be in Vancouver. I could be in the States. My career path deviated a lot from engineering. 
but that's what I thought I was going to do when I first started. Um, it's what you're taught, you know, I don't, I think our generation when we were in school, programming was the most boring thing in the world. Uh, it was, I think my professor was a really nice guy, but he looked like Dilbert and he taught <laughs> us about like RAM and stuff. And like, that's not exciting, but this generation, they get in the classroom and they learn about how, you know, AIs and machine learning. And so it's a whole different play now, I think, but my generation, when we went to school, it felt very much, you're going to join the workforce and do what our parents did basically. Yeah, and I think you talked about it uh, earlier, but um, and uh, I know that they're responsible for a few uh, pounds on this frame. But uh, you know, some may think that like entrepreneurialism is an unexpected career path for someone who's a process engineer. But you know, your your family founded grandmother's pie shop, and then later like Tea and Bloom. Uh, you talked a bit about it, but like, you know, you saw them stressing, you know, they like, you have to think about payroll, you have to think about, you know, doing all those kinds of business things that, uh, you know, keep people up at night. How did that yeah. shape? How did that shape you? Like you, you, you went from process engineering to, to, to a startup. So like, what did that, what did that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think when you work within an organization, even now, like as a, as an employee versus a, an owner, um, I think you forget a lot about what take, what it takes to run a business. Cause it's, it's great. Actually, I tell my, one of the partners are like, I have the luxury of coming in and doing what I like to do and what I have to do versus all these things like payroll taxes, liabilities, legals, insurance, uh, you know, even, even like shipping things across the border. Like it, it's just, there's a lot that goes into string up a business that I don't think people get at the beginning. And that's why I think if you do want to do the entrepreneur journey, you have to be someone who's very flexible at a quick learner willing to adapt to insane situations. Cause like, I, I know like I, we had a deadline somewhere in the States and we we're shipping something I think, for whole foods and our, our robot got held up in customs. And it's just like, now you got to suddenly read up on what customs regulations are and like call some people, hire some people and figure it out. And these are things that business owners do and this is stuff that I think I saw on a, a smaller scale with my parents at their at their pie shop. Uh, all the extra hours that go into you know preparing so that people can show up to work and actually have a full day of productive work. Uh, again, I swore that I would never want to do that, and then I ended up doing it, uh, and I and I quite enjoyed it actually. So it was mm -hmm. a surprising uh, discovery. So before we uh, before we leave, uh, you know, the discussion of grandmother's pie shop, one of the specialties, you know, at the store was butter tarts. So I have to ask you a controversial question. When it comes to butter tarts, are you of the mind that they should have raisins in them or no raisins? Yeah, I mean, so we made like four or five lines. I will be the first to admit raisins was my least favorite. Whoa. Um, yes, I'm, I'm with you but... there. I'm no raisins for me. I couldn't it's, disagree it's really more. It's yeah. really sweet enough, in my opinion. Um, pecans, though, and yeah. that that just like that nuttiness, the, how the syrup toasts it. Now that that that's the golden one. But yeah, I am. Uh, so Steve, you're a raisin guy. I'm a raisin guy, but you guys also made, I believe, one with coconut in it. Is that not correct? Yeah, that was I nice. love the the coconut ones were dino. Just that extra crunch and the chewiness of the of the sort of cooked coconut. It's the syrup that just toasts it all. But, you know, a raisin, you can't toast a raisin. It just absorbs more sugar. Yeah, that's so, true. I guess, I guess I, I could be convinced to come over to the other side. I just, <laughs> I grew up with raisins and butter tarts. And, like, uh, you know, maybe maybe it'll be a bit harder to change my mind about that. 
That's the that's the hardest hitting question we had for you, Brian. By the way. Oh, good. That's all. all <laughs> it's all just that. it's all softballs now. After we yeah, took yeah. that one out of the way. <laughs> yeah, this is a kind of a leading question because I really want you to tell a story. Um, mm-hmm. And if, if if I'm not getting to it, I'll be more clear. But besides, you know, what you did with T-Bot, did you have any other earlier entrepreneurial experiences, perhaps with your cousins? Um, you know, I, the, the song Canon and D comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. I actually forgot about that. And you reminded me, but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, like there's a group of us, like cousins and family friends. We, I was the youngest one. And like, and they were seniors. I was like a freshman in high school. So I just like, they're like, hey, you can play the violins. Like, yeah, let's go do this thing. Uh, and then every once in a while, like they would just give me money. Um, and I just had fun with it. But yeah, we had a little like a uh, quartet because we all played musical instruments. And then we started doing wedding venues like all around the city. I remember that like every month or every couple of months, we'd have a wedding that we'd play for. And I guess, yeah, that taught a lot, you know, like we were doing our own thing at like what, 14, 15 and 16. That's that's pretty cool. Actually, now that I'm older, I look back at it. I think that's really cool. When I was younger, I was like, ah, this is this is fun. Whatever. Yeah. Um, charging but, whatever like, you want. Yeah, I, I don't even. Yeah, I can't believe people paid uh, like 14, 15 year olds to play at their weddings. Like we could have really screwed that up. Um, <laughs> luckily, we did it. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't have paid a fourteen-year-old to play it my way. That's all I gotta say. Well, um, and I think I think it's really interesting because all the guests we've had on, Mike, like how many of them have been musicians? My gosh, like every every sort of like creative person we have on have this other side of them. I think it's super interesting that uh, you know you're also a musician. When's the last time you picked up an instrument? Ooh, well, I had a kid recently, so not in a while, um, but probably like a year or two years ago before she came along I was getting into guitar and then uh, I wanted to pick up the violin again and now I'm going to because I want to teach her the same thing also like a piano is huge I live in Toronto I ain't got room (laughs) for a piano so I'm like like, why do you want to teach your violin like ah for form factor's sake I can put that away and and put it in a closet (laughs) yeah 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 guitar violin those are good though because they fixate on the sounds and I uh I have two young ones myself and uh the guitar is definitely a hit. I'm not very good at it, but uh, it, it keeps them entertained. They think I'm a rock star. So until they get older <laughs> yeah. and they realize what an actually good guitar player sounds like. So, yeah. Well, like Steve was a, was a dynamite trombone player, as I recall. <laughs> In grade nine I, I was a fine, I wasn't a dynamite. I was fine. I mean, you don't get really a, a chance to shine if you're a trombone player. <laughs> yeah. There, there weren't too many trombone scouted. solos, <laughs> you know? Well, Steve, yeah, Steve saves his talents for the karaoke, karaoke oh. nights for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, so, Brian, we've talked, like we've mentioned T-Bot throughout uh, some of the questions mm-hmm. we've asked you so far, but I just kind of wanted to revisit that a little bit just because I think, you know, I, Steve and I are familiar with, with the T-Bot. Uh, we know that there was one at Laurentian. Um, it was, a, it was like, a, a, like a focal feature of the new engineering building that Laurentian had a T-Bot, and every time you went to Laurentian, you had to go get a T from the T-Bot, but can you explain a little bit more about, you know, what, what T-Bot was and what made you want to get into that? Yeah. Um, so what T-Bot was, was kind of like a really cool piece of, I would say, innovation and technology, I guess, um, even though they're very buzzy um, at the time, you know, like when we started it, Raymond and I, uh, in 2012 or 2013, this is pen and paper, two dudes just hanging out and talking. Um, T had become really cool. Like, you know, coming back to Sudbury, like my mom's store was busy. I would go to like 
meetings with like these big burly valet dudes and they're all drinking tea like it's like and like they're not they're drinking like tea like it's 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 great it's healthy so it came out a time when like things were really great and then i think we saw that the delivery mechanism the model wasn't really effective you know coffee already has a culture you can line up in a starbucks and order like a, a 40 point macchiato latte whatever and get it done in two minutes or you can just ask for a drip coffee boom you're out the door uh, tea didn't have that not to mention it has more more like i guess like a flavor profile since you can have hundreds of flavors and, and david's tea went down that path so it was both a delivery mechanism and ability to onboard people and allow them to explore that was kind of a gap and so we kind of identified that there's a way to kind of streamline this and automate it. And I think we were very lucky back in 2012, 2013, all the way up to 2015, all the incubators uh, had a soft spot for food, hardware, food technology. And that was kind of the new thing, like the future of food. So we, we really fit in at a good time. And, and so that's what T-Bot did. Like we kind of found a new way to deliver uh, and also not just deliver the physical product, but deliver the experience to the end user. And most of the time we're trying to um, you know, intersect them before they even have to go very far. So uh, university campuses, office buildings was our bread and butter. Uh, we even had a few testers in like, um, like Porsche dealerships and Mercedes dealerships and like in high-end car dealerships, which was interesting. But yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, so process engineer, founding a tech startup, tech startup, you exit from, or you, you, you leave that company, yeah. Can you talk about what you're doing now? I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about what your work is uh, at Normative and how, like, in many ways, the, the, the other two sort of careers you've had really put you in an ideal position to where you are now. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, it's funny, when, when, I, when I had to leave, uh, and that's just because, you know, hardware is really difficult, you know, raising money becomes difficult. So sometimes you have to make a decision if you want to operate a business or if you want to go and play in new things. And I was more interested in play uh, personally. And so one of our customers was normative, ironically, and then they found out about it. So they kind of said, hey, do you want to come work with us? Uh, we are doing a lot of new venture format of stuff. Um, but most recently, the last two years, I started doing more uh, corporate innovation for pharmaceutical companies. That's our, our, our bread and butter client right now. And so it's fun. I mean, I think I get an understanding because like, Working at Valet as a process engineer, working in the R&D department, I had a lot of understanding of what it takes to make change. Um, there's incredible politics, not to mention, it's difficult. You tell someone who's been operating, you know, a flash furnace for 10 years and their goals are to like, hit, you know, a certain throughput and say, hey, I want to rethink this whole thing. That's a tough conversation because now they have to learn something new. They have to shut down their facility. It's not an easy thing. And I think that that experience has made it a lot easier for me to work uh, with corporate innovation because I have an appreciation of the idea folks and the execution folks. They're on two different spectrums. They want similar goals, but you have to find a way to merge it. And obviously doing the whole startup journey kind of allowed me to, to think differently as well, right? How do you build things faster? How do you, like, I think what you leave with after doing it is a different perspective of how to do things. I think you're more optimistic about the world, but you're also a little bit more pessimistic about how to do it. So you have to kind of control that. But um, yeah, I think one of the things that makes uh, the work that I do exciting right now is that I get to kind of rethink the way they test and they build and they, they launch products um, because their traditional model takes years to do. So how do we find a way to 
streamline it faster? How do we find a way to do it without maybe these roadblocks? You know, do we really need these features that really add so much bloat? No, uh, we can we can build a leaner, you know, jankier prototype, but you know, we do a smaller test group, but we find out if this is worth investing another year in. Um, obviously, corporate innovation takes longer than, than startups, which sometimes I bash my head against. But I mean, I think that's the the duality of it, right? Like, you know, you also as startups are sweating, you know, payroll <laughs> and like raising money and optics. So, yeah, it's been it's been cool. It's cool what I do right now. Yeah, it's interesting how you went uh, from being part of the corporate innovation apparatus at Ballet. I mean, and now you're working with some of those big corporates because I think it's that uh, empathy that you get, right? Because yeah. Because there's people within big corporates, you know, that uh, they're worried about disrupting established practice, right? Mm -hmm. And you can actually come in there with that sort of sympathetic ear saying, you know, I think we can assuage some of your concerns about downtime, you know, in, a, in, yeah. a, in, an, in an elegant way. So that makes it more like the innovation more uh, palatable. It's something that Mike and I deal with all the time in the mining sector. I mean, the mining sector is leagues behind pharma, right? When it comes to yeah. adopting technology, but it's, it's still that sympathy play where it's like they have to be able to see themselves in the innovation and they have to be able to, to make the decision based on, uh, on knowing that it's not going to limit their, their actual goals, their business goals too much. Right. And you got to involve them too. I think what helped was working at the smelter. So before I went to the, the Mississauga arm, I was like a uh, process tech at the smelter. And I think, you know, I was like a wide eyed 22 year old, you show up and you're talking to a crew that's been like working together for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I say, Hey, I want to like, I was told to like, change this thing or test this thing and like they'll give you a hard time and then they just banter but i think you learn like you learn you know that you know these these people know what they're doing uh there's a way to approach it you don't just come and say i'm going to change the script on you it's like who am i and so i think to your point steve like i think empathy is a huge part of it i think people need to start thinking about customers and relationships a lot more just because i work in a different department and i'm being told to do something doesn't mean you you're my customer right like you own right. you own this unit line my job is to support you right um, even though i come from the tech side and we're trying to change things like you're my customer so mm -hmm. you also have to figure out how your your technology integrates with your end user and how they adopt it and i think that bridge sometimes gets lost with the young engineers yeah. um but that's probably changing now right because i think what the programs Cambrian is doing, and you get, everyone's teaching more about user-centric innovation and customers adoption. So I'm very optimistic that this next generation engineers won't carry some of the the uh, the baggage. Well said, man. Well said. It's uh, it's not necessarily related, but it just made me think of something, Brian. I used to do the, the work, the shutdowns in the summer at the Coppercliff yeah. Smelter, and uh, one of the summers I was a confined space guard. Uh, for Anmar and the guys were working I think like just off of the one of the Cottrell's and um, my job was like I had an uh, air monitor to tell them like if it was like if they had to get out of the hole and so at the time I'm like in my early 20s you know I've done a couple shutdowns but I'm certainly not as experienced as the grizzled guys who were doing the actual work and remember my the the SO2 went off one day on my monitor and I'm like you guys got to get out of the hole like you got to get out and they're like they're like ah Mike it's fine and so, you know, not, not, not exactly what you were talking about there, but it just kind of made me think back to that experience of like trying to tell somebody else as a, as a bright eyed, you know, 20 year old that like, you guys, you got to get out. They're like, no, 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 we've been doing this for 20 years. We'll tell you when we need to get out. So <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's honestly, like, if you're a bright eyed 20 year old and you have a new startup and you, you built a new product and you're going to launch it, you're going to face the same challenges. Your customers have an established practice and you're introducing something new. That's why, like, 
one of the things I'm a big proponent is like, I, I talk to a lot of young people and they're like, I want to do my own business. I want to do a startup. Should I just do it now? Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with working for a little, for a little while. Cause you learn a lot of soft skills. Like as a young person, you're allowed to fail. Uh, in a company like like Mikey, like people were giving you a hard time. If you were like seasoned and 15 years in, they probably would have given you a hard time. Like, Mike, come on, chill out. Yeah. Um, but like I think that's the thing. Like you get this opportunity to learn soft skills, understand how human behavior works. And if you go into a job looking at everyone as a supply as upstream, like you're someone's customer, someone is your customer, I think that will get you really well equipped for when you're ready to do your own thing. So there's no you don't have to drop out of high school to do it. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a great way to do it, but there's no shame in spending a bit of time if you don't have an idea yet and working and learning uh, a complementary skill set for when you're ready to, to do your own thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually funny you said that because we talked to another engineer earlier this week, uh, Karim Omri, who has a company like an uh, engineering shop here in town called Comrie Engineering. And he talked about how as soon, like just like three months before he graduated, he got his company started, but because he knew that he wasn't going to be a licensed engineer right away, he got some experience, you know, working for another company and then kind of doing some stuff on the side that didn't require him to have, you know, a license to do that type of engineering. But then as soon as he got, you know, his license, he had already kind of had the framework in place and he, he bolted and, you know, he's been with his company ever since. Oh, cool. And I bet you had way more success just because he paid his dues in many ways and learned, and learned like that room. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, awesome. and, and the experience talking to clients, um, you know that you you can't just launch a consulting engineer company having never been in front of a client, right? Yeah, yeah. Hard or solve. done or done something before, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You're a new kid, you're consulting. Like, what are you consulting on? Textbooks. Yeah. Um, so it's good that you got some like real experience in there. Well, and that's the thing, right? Because like even if you like say you work in an adjacent industry, um, well, like you did even, right? You actually have credibility when you make your when you find your startup, like because when you're talking to clients you have some life experience to talk about, you know, like yeah. I, I, there's, there's credibility that you need. And I, like when I was advising startups when I was at OCE, it was always like, you know, these are all like spinoffs from universities and it's like, man, what, but what have you done? You know, <laughs> like what, what, why tell me why you think someone's going to buy this. And like, that has to be a, the next statement from them should be something from experience. Right. Not because mm -hmm. you think it's a cool idea. It should be, you know, some validation. Right. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree with you. Like, it doesn't, like, you could still come out of high school and have an idea. I think one of the things I really focus on, even when I interview and, like, when I'm hiring for your roles, I look at, like, if you've ever done sales, like, whether or not you're in high school, you're, like, working a hot dog stand or a lemonade yeah, yeah. stand, like, sales is the one thing that you're going to get your teeth kicked in uh, mm -hmm. by the customer because most of them hate you. <laughs> and if you figure out how to do it, then you do it really, really well. So it, sales is like one of the things I think that are a core component that we don't actually teach. I think like, uh, I think a lot about this, you know, like, you know, financial literacy is definitely one thing we don't teach kids. It's going to that's really important. Programming obviously is great, but we never teach people how to sell. How do you no. sell your idea? How do you sell you? How do you sell your product? Like think about it, like the minute you measure from school, so much of your life is about, so you got to sell people that you're the right candidate for a job. Yeah. Great. You got to sell the mortgage broker that, you know, I'm ready to buy a house and I'm reliable. You can give me a loan. Like so much of our life is about convincing people that you're the right mm -hmm. person for the right thing. And so, yeah, like, like get it, like get some sales experience. If you can Absolutely. Do thing I love the most. Absolutely. Sorry, I get like into banters like this. Cause like I work with some of the people on my team and like, I'm, I'm pushing like, you know, like, get some sales experience, like, like get in front of a client, pitch, pitch, pitch. hundred percent. That's what happened to me. 100% because it's, it's one thing, it'll be the last thing that we automate, Brian, is that 
sort of person to person relationship where you have to convince a decision maker to take the leap with you, right? That, that'll be the last thing we automate with AI and we need it until we yeah. do that. Yeah, when that happens, we live in Wally Land, and that's great. We're all just seeing these hover ships, and like, I'm looking, it's not the worst thing in the world for that to be automated. I'm gonna yeah, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's for sure. A lot less hurt feelings, right? Yeah. So, Brian, we've uh, we've covered a lot of your professional background, but one of the things we haven't asked you yet, and maybe this is uh, probably how we'll close it out, but uh, you alluded to this earlier. You became a new dad, um, you mm -hmm. know, not too long ago. Can you maybe chat a little about what it's been like becoming a new dad during the pandemic and uh -huh trying to balance fatherhood and in, in, in your work commitments? Yeah, I think it's, so it's, it's good and bad. I think everything has a good and bad. So the good is that like, I work from home now. Um, my days are a little longer, but like, that's cause like I take a break at like 11 or 12 and my kids doing something cool. I could run in and see her eat broccoli for a second freak out. That's awesome. Um, what sucks is it's really hard to like, you know, see family and people. So it's really like, it becomes tougher. I think in the sense that you have to rely on your partner a lot mm -hmm. more. Um, but I think like, it's funny, like a lot of people ask me what it's like, and I, <laughs> I tell like having a, a kid in the beginning and, and like, you can probably relate to this. It's like, it's like having your own startup because <laughs> yeah. you're doing the bigger customer. They're never freaking happy. And the product with your product is like, how do you make this work? Like, so that you don't <laughs> freak out, you don't scream. And just when you figure it out, they flip the script on you. They go to sleep regression. They don't want to take the bottom line. They, yeah. they, they lose their mind. And you have to pivot and, and innovate, air quotes, a new way to deal with this kid. And it's like a series of figuring it out and you're learning and you're learning and you're learning. And eventually the kid matures a bit and then you also mature as a parent. And then hopefully you get a system that works. Um, it is very much like user testing. It doesn't need to be perfect. Just like, just think of whatever your kid needs and launch it and see if the kid likes it. If they like it, great, stick with it as long as you can until they give you a signal that it doesn't work anymore and then keep going. Um, so it's kind of like launching product, to be honest. And That's the best analogy. That. That's the best analogy I've ever heard, Brian. So does that, does that also mean, I guess, when she eventually moves out, is that an acquisition? Did you get, <laughs> yeah. did she get acquired? I, I mean, what is that? Is that called acquisition or is it like when a company sells off? Of the business she exited. She exited. Yeah, did yeah, she, she exited. yeah, that's right. She, she exited. exited. Yeah. yeah. And when, when I we sold off a branch, we sold off the R&D on that sucky money. Exactly. But it's, yeah, that is a great analogy because it very, it very much is like, you could picture yourself, like when you're trying to diagnose, like what a company needs and like, how can Cambrian help them? It's like, what is, what is your problem right now? And like, what can I do to make this stop? It's like, are you hungry? You're not like what we prepared <laughs> yeah. for dinner. Like what is going on? And, and you know, at the, at those early ages, you obviously can't reason with them. So you really have to like, you know, develop some, some coping skills around that. But yeah, it's, uh, I've never heard it put that way, but I definitely could see it. Um, I, had I would, I would argue, I would argue that like, it's, it's like, it's so honest. Cause like most customers will be very polite to your face in Canada. It's, it's so much easier to tell a white lie than give honest truth. So yeah. with a baby, you're just like trying to figure it out by testing and they can't communicate with you too. So it's, it's a, it's a very honest customer mm -hmm. experience in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to, I'll, I'll leave you with like a, I guess a piece of advice that I have or not yeah. a piece of advice, but just like uh, what I, my experience. So like we had our second daughter, Sophia uh, last year. And so we brought oh. her home from the hospital the day that Ontario went into its first lockdown. So like I had like all these grand plans of like, I was going to take like a few days off, like, you know, not do work and like actually like help my wife and, and all this great stuff. And then like, we get a notification that morning that like everyone's going remotely. So like I had to go into Cambrian that afternoon, tell the team like, 
pack up your stuff. Like, I don't know when we're coming back, but we're not working. We're not working here anymore. We're going to be working from home. And so like, I obviously did not take any time off because like we had no idea what was going on. So I had to be kind of involved with, with the day-to-day of the team, um, which, you know, put some stress in the household at first, because I think, you know, my wife needed some help. But I think what I've learned is that as much as it's been like chaotic at times to have both girls home throughout this pandemic, like you've had, I've had opportunities to see them more than I ever would if I was in the office, like Monday to Friday. Right. So like, I think that's something that I'm sure you'll appreciate. I'm sure you have appreciated that even though it's, it's definitely a balancing act. Um, these are some yeah. moments that you'd otherwise wouldn't get um, if this wasn't happening. So that's one silver lining. Yeah, I know. Totally agree. And like, it's cool. Like, you probably got to see so much, like with your first child, you probably missed a lot because you're at work or yep. out and about running errand. This one, like you get to see everything sometimes too much. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue, but <laughs> well, like, uh, like you're, you're around and it's cool. So like, I mean, I, I love this work from home culture. I struggle to know what's, what it means for the future. Cause like, uh, I, I know so much of what I, I know today is because I had great mentors like Ed Valet. Like I still remember the names of some of the, the best and Colin Pollard, uh, Paul Kenny, like these guys, like they taught me so much by, by me watching them. Like there's a lot of observing that you do as a junior. I think in this remote ecosystem, calls are much more explicit like we have to book a time so there's no more just like sitting in a room and watching someone operate or mm-hmm. hey just shadow me for an hour come come let's go do this thing so i don't know what that means for the future i think i think some smart young kids are gonna develop technologies to to facilitate that probably but that yeah. that is a cool new new problem like i think that's just a, a bit of what we lose in this remote ecosystem is how do we train the next generation if they can't watch how we operate outside of explicit presentations and screens so yeah we lose a lot of nuance right and i think that's Mm -hmm. uh someone will come up with a system to replicate that i hope it's not a hundred percent like 24-hour surveillance of each other that would be bad (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know what that i don't know what it means like i mean like steve a guy like you you got a lot to teach and like a lot can be learned by watching you operate right like (laughs) and that's that's the thing um so hopefully that doesn't get lost yeah, yeah, I hope so too. And uh, I think we'll, we'll come out of this. Hey, Brian, what's your kid's name? Avery. Avery, that's a lovely name. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah so he's a six months in a couple of days. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy, eh? Pandemic yeah, baby. Pandemic baby. Pandemic yeah. baby, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Anyway, man, I think we've taken a lot of your time. Uh, I would be remiss. Tanya told me to, t- to say hello to you and knock. So she's saying hi. <laughs> She's off Saturday camera upstairs. Too. Yeah, I will. Um, I told her she can't come down here because this is very serious business. So <laughs> no, but she's, she, she wanted me to tell you uh, what's up from her. So, um, but thanks so much for doing this. I think, uh, you know, if we could share some of this journey with our listeners and they can understand, you know, maybe there is a process engineer right now at Valet that is like thinking about that next move. And, uh, and maybe, maybe that could be the next startup, but thanks so much for being so generous with your time. I can't wait for Mike and I to come down to Toronto. We can have a few beers um, like like we did before. I think we're actually going to be able to travel in the new year, um, to some of those mining conferences down there. So, uh, really looking forward. And again, thanks so much. No problem. I can't wait. And like, people down here are fun, but they don't party like Northern boys. <laughs> That's all I got to say. The last time you guys gave me a great time. It's just like, yeah. you know, it's just, it's, um, maybe it's because you guys, you know, uh, have an appreciation for, for living life a little bit more, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I love hanging out with you guys. And let me know when you're back in town. Awesome. Thanks Looking so much. Looking forward man. to that, Brian. Thanks a lot. 
Well, Steve, I mean, I think my next stop is going to be to grab a butter tart, but oh, yeah. with no raisins. I thought about it earlier. Like, I think you can definitely transition from raisin eating butter tart haver to no raisins, but like, I can't go back the other way. Like you'll never yeah, sell I, me on having butter tarts with raisins. It's just not going to happen. But I think that's science. Like you, you can't go back. Right. I, I, uh, if anyone's ever been to a truck stop, you see the grandmother's pie shop logo. They have like those three packs or two packs that they have everywhere. And to think that that started in Sudbury is so incredible. You know, like his family exited from that and sold it to a firm down South. But like, you know, what, like you're like, like that's how you make an entrepreneur. He was formed in the crucible of grandmother's pie shop, right? <laughs> that's where he, he got to learn those sort of soft skills he talked so so vehemently about right you know like what a, what an experience yeah no i uh again thank god i didn't work in a pie shop because yeah i would be uh <laughs> i don't think i would have been quite a i guess i would have been more buoyant as a swimmer but uh, i don't think i would have <laughs> been as fast so well i think uh it's a good thing that their uh pie shop on lauren street had uh, very large garage doors because that's <laughs> how i'd be leaving every shift <laughs> did you ever work in food industry um, I worked for Campbell's Soup in sales okay. uh, for, gosh, five years, uh, selling soup to people who didn't want any more soup. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I never had that experience where I had, I had friends who worked like at places like Dairy Queen, and they always seem to be having, I'm sure, some, some fun at work and certainly far too many treats, but uh, it was not, not a sector that I, I had the chance to work in. Yeah, and I think... Uh, you know, I remember uh, so, so uh, uh, fondly, you know, there'd be like rejects from the, uh, from the pie factory. And my oh. friend Craig actually worked there for a time. And it would always be, you know, the end of shift on a Friday and Craig would bring like two trays of, of butter tarts that maybe had like a cracked, you know, crust or something like that. And uh, needless to say, we all should have gotten diabetes, but, uh, you know, we used to hammer those things just really great. Um, but I mean, that's not the only thing that was interesting about Brian. I think, uh, his whole career path that he talked about is just, again, really fitting that unlikely innovators mold, I think, because, mm -hmm. you know, not the process engineering at Valet isn't innovative because he did touch on, you know, trying new things and, 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 you know, doing that R and D he did with the R and D arm of that Valet, but, you know, my gosh, what a winding road, you know, tech startup now consulting in the sort of tech space, I think. Um, just a really pleasure to talk to him. Yeah. And I wanted to just ask you this before we go, just because there's nothing the listeners love more is than when you and I stream our consciousness at the end of an episode, but that's right. That's I was right. trying to place like, cause we, we talked about how Brian, you know, it'd be great to eventually have a beer with him and not have a, our conversation recorded. Um, but I was trying to think of when we were last in Toronto and we had a beer with him. And I feel like it was, was it the higher education summit in November of 2019, which might've been one of my last work trips, I think. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was actually in the bar in the basement of his condo building. Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But I just couldn't remember where it must have been that because I didn't go to PDAC that year. So it had to have been that conference. Yeah, because we stayed at the Sheridan and it actually wasn't that far away from where he lives, I don't think. Yeah. No, I mean, we were walking all over the place. But yeah, so that's basically, you know, for me anyway, I know that you've you've talked to him more regularly and you, you went to his wedding uh, last year. But yeah, almost two years uh, since I last spoke to him and it was, it was through a podcast. So there you go. I went to his wedding. And again, my friend Craig, who's also a close friend with, uh, with Brian, this will be the last thing I say. <laughs> we left 
pretty early around one o'clock and we were walking back to our Airbnb, but Craig said, no, I'm going to stay. I want to get this girl's number. There was a young lady there that he was fancying. Anyways, fast forward to five o'clock in the morning. No Craig. Where the hell is he? He had gone the complete wrong direction and ended up like 10 kilometers away from the Airbnb and eventually wound his way back home in the early hours of the morning, but we almost lost him. And that was in the winter. So but did he get her number? Uh, I think he did, but he didn't ever call her. <laughs> so all that, all that. For nothing. To, you know, just to freeze, freeze. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, more, uh, less stream of consciousness next time on the Unlikely Innovators. No, this is why they, this is, people stick around for this final yeah. segment. You catch them for the guests and you keep them with the banter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week, Steve. All right. See you. The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining.